if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. In the Catholic Church, there are certain fraternal communities of men and women who commit to living and working together to serve a common mission. In canon or church law, these are called societies of the apostolic life or societies of common life. They take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but not necessarily the same sort of public vows that a religious community like, say, the Benedictines or Dominicans or Franciscans do. Depending on the society, many of its members are priests or religious sisters, but not diocesan priests. Now, one example of this type of organization is the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, commonly known as the Paulist Fathers. The Paulists were founded by Father Isaac Hecker in 1858 in New York City. Hecker was a second-generation German immigrant who converted to Catholicism in 1844. He had a passion for missionary work, particularly a vision for evangelization to the people of America using what were, at the time, the most contemporary methods possible. In the mid-19th century, ideas and ideologies were spreading through evangelistic preaching, public lectures on popular issues, and the printing of magazines and pamphlets. Those were the equivalent of today's Christian radio and television, websites, podcasts, and YouTube videos. So, the Paulist vision was to engage in an evangelistic and ecumenical conversation with North American culture within the public square. Today, the Paulists run ministries throughout the United States. They have a popular media ministry called Busted Halo, which includes podcasts, videos, and a program on Sirius XM radio. They have ministry centers on college campuses and in urban downtowns. They work in various media and artistic industries. Now, one of those locations is the Catholic Information Center at the Cathedral of St. Andrew in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The ministries that help produce this podcast, One Rolling Adventure and the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, regularly collaborate with the Paulist Fathers at the Catholic Information Center in Grand Rapids. I've spoken there on a number of occasions, and that is how I got to know Father Rene Constanza. Father Rene currently leads the CIC and serves as the rector of the cathedral. But only for a couple more weeks, because this spring he was elected by his brother Paulists to be the new president of the Paulist Fathers and will be moving back to New York City to take up his new responsibilities in June. Before he did, he was generous enough to share his time for a conversation about his own spiritual journey, evangelization, and mission, and what it takes to get both Catholics and non-Catholics to consider Catholicism and move higher up and deeper into their own faith. 
So we're here with Father Rene Constanza, uh, the rector of the Cathedral of St. Andrew and the uh, newly elected president of the Paulists. Father, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be with us. It's a pleasure being here and to um, sort of uh, be part of this podcast, especially when it comes to evangelization. As uh, the Paulists say, we try to give the word a voice, and that's what evangelization is about. Absolutely. Well, Father, uh, could you just maybe introduce yourself to our audience a little bit, a little bit about your life story and how you came to be where you are today? Yes. So I am the seventh of nine children. Wow. So I come from a large family. And uh, so it is, uh, I always say that my, um, my relationships, my uh, interpersonal dynamics and all of that has roots uh, with the family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I grew um, having parents that were working, both of them. And so it was uh, the older siblings uh, sort of um, helping, helping uh, mom and dad as well as us, you know, get a grounding of, of um of what discipline is and how to to behave and how to also um, grow in the faith. So it was. Um, I, I grew up in Belize, so oh. I was born. I was born and uh, spent eighteen years in Belize. Um, most of my education uh, was Catholic uh, in the sense that I attended uh, the elementary, middle school, as well as high school um, in Catholic schools. And um, and then I did junior college in Belize in a public school. And uh, after that, uh, came to the U.S. at the age of 18 to do my um, my junior and senior years at the Catholic University in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. So just imagine someone from Belize coming to <laughs> Kentucky for the first time. That so was, that a was, real, that's a, was that a real cultural shock for you or? It was, <laughs> it was, uh, and yet I was uh, more um, excited to, to, to be at a new place and, um, and just, uh, I love newness of things. And mm. so uh, I, I um, adapted, uh, adjusted uh, easily in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and I called Louisville home for four years five years because I, after under, my undergrad studies, I um, worked for a year at a school there. So I did my undergrad in biology and secondary education, uh, taught a year there, and then went to grad school at the University of Louisville uh, with wow. um, education administration. That's so fantastic. Administration. Now, how yeah, was your how was your English? Uh, did you did you study English in Belize? I mean, did you was it a, a big adjustment to to come and uh, yeah. do your higher ed in English? Uh, well, not really, because in in Belize the official language is English. Ah. So Belize was British Honduras mm-hmm. in the past. So it's the only English speaking um, country in Central America. Wow. And, um, and so it was. Um, it was. It was not something challenging because I, that's that's the official language. So my schooling in Belize was all in English. Okay. Um, and but at home, uh, I spoke Spanish. Okay. And some might say some might say Spanglish uh, because <laughs> I, I mixed the English and the Spanish there. Right. And uh, so that wasn't a major adjustment for me. Um, 
So after that, I, I went back to Belize, uh, having um, all intentions to, to be a biology teacher, and, and God had other plans for me. Um, I was asked to be the founding principal of a Catholic high school in Belize, based on my background in um, administration, academic background, as well as I did. I was um, a residence hall director while I was studying, doing my, doing my uh, master's. Um, and so, you know, that was something I had to discern. I wasn't, um, I always felt unprepared for that. And I did not send my um, application till the very last moment because uh, others were asking me to, to apply. And, um, and I got the, the position and I had the support of wonderful past principals and Hired the, the best educators and disciplinarians and, you know, just right. people that were more trained and better equipped in education than I was. And uh, we formed the Bishop Martin High School, um, a school that is thriving in Belize and doing wow. quite well. And, That's great. And maintaining the culture that we started there. Um, yeah, so that was back in Belize. And then I... Um, I felt called to the priesthood uh, while being introduced to the Paulist fathers uh, through a vocation magazine called Vision Guide. Yes. And um, yeah, so that was how I was introduced to the Paulist fathers and then came here to the U.S. in Washington, D.C. to to study with the fathers at the Catholic University of America. So I came to the seminary here and uh, yeah, six years later ordained. And um, a priest, and my first assignment was in Austin, Texas. So I did Austin, four years yeah. there. Wow. Yeah, and wow. then was asked to come here at the Catholic Information Center in Grand Rapids. And right. I've been here for six years now at the center and um, four years now as the rector pastor of the cathedral. Wow, what a, what a story. And then now you've yeah. got another chapter that's beginning, right? That's right. <laughs> That is so true. Um, so one of one of the things is that I I've spent 22 years living in Belize in my life, and then next year I'll be 22 years living here in the U.S. So <laughs> it will be half half. Um, yeah. And then the this past uh, January, I was elected to be the president or the superior general of the Paulist Fathers, and uh, Paulist Fathers is the first uh, religious community of men established here in the U.S. back in 1858. And uh, so for <laughs> the Paulists to have a trust in, in me, as well as um, for me being the first uh, immigrant uh, president to lead or leader of the Paulists, um, also speaks volumes of, of um, the Paulist fathers, as well as um, the signs of the time. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and for those of us uh, in the uh, Diocese of Grand Rapids, of course, we all feel a little bit of pride uh, to see one of uh, our own rector and uh, someone uh, beloved to us in, in this diocese to be able to uh, to be able to serve in such a prominent position. So could you just say maybe a moment, uh, give a little bit of plug or whatever about what the mission of the Paulists is for those people maybe who who are not completely familiar with that? Yes. So the Paulist Fathers uh, started 
um, here back in 1858 and uh, in the U.S., and it's an American community. So we are not in other countries except in uh, Rome, where we have the American church in Rome. So to maintain a presence uh, in Rome is very important for us. Um, and the Paulist Fathers, we the, the, the mission is evangelization. So how do we uh, bring people to an awareness that God is at work in their lives and to have an appreciation of, um, of the faith that, uh, that is alive in a world that is imbued by God and uh, to also uh, bring the word, the scripture, alive in homilies and preaching and all of that. Uh, we started primarily as a mission community, so giving missions back in the 1800s uh, to different parishes. Um, we sort of branched off from the uh, Redemptorist Fathers, who are missionaries. So um, they were primarily doing missions in the German language. And so when we uh, sort of branched off from them, it was because uh, our founder, Father Isaac Hecker, and his companions, the uh, four other founders, uh, wanted to give missions in English to speak the language of the people here, as well as they have, um, our founder had this, this vision of, of converting America to the Catholic faith. And so that was the, that's, that's, that's how we started. And now our mission is mainly evangelization uh, through a media, uh, through Boston Halo, through the web, through our uh, preaching in various uh, parishes and also campus ministries. And um, under, under that umbrella of evangelization, we also have reconciliation. So how do we bring back people into an awareness of God in their lives and in their own brokenness? Uh, a God who is always uh, waiting for us in his mercy and healing aspect. So reconciliation is big for us. And, um, and then under evangelization is also the ecumenical work that we do, meaning that we have um, a lot of common things with our brothers and sisters, um, Christian traditions, of other Christian traditions that we must work, especially together, uh, to alleviate many of the, um, the illnesses of our world, the, the, the various things that are plaguing our world right now. So that's, that's just the gist of wow. who we are and what we do. But evangelization is the main thing. Well, you know, of course, that's so exciting to me uh, as someone who uh, was a convert to Christianity through campus ministry. Um, I was uh, I was brought to the Lord uh, at the university uh, at the University of Colorado in Boulder through a campus ministry, and then went on got my wow. master of divinity, and then spent wow twenty five or thirty years working as an evangelist and church planter and missionary and. And I had gone to film school. I was at film school. So yeah. uh, most of my uh, ministry over the years has been using media until I uh, entered the Catholic Church. Uh, just uh, doesn't seem like too long ago. And uh, so it's exciting to meet uh, you and to know about the Paulist Fathers as uh, other uh, kind of co-laborers in the, in the vineyard uh, as we uh, try to share the gospel. 
especially uh, in these in these times and in this nation. So I, I was yeah. so excited to be able to to talk to you. So so it, it, and that brings up an interesting point uh, as I think mm-hmm. about um, you know how God's worked in my life and the people that. Uh, I know that I've worked in mission evangelization with, there's so many different ways that people come to Christ. You know, there's a, there's yeah. only one, one door uh, into the kingdom and that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but there are many paths to that door. And uh, so just curious, it's always interesting on this podcast to talk to people about the path uh, that, that they followed or that they were led on by the Holy Spirit uh, to Christ. And uh, could you share maybe a little bit about your, how you became uh, your your journey to faith and your journey to the Catholic Church. Sure. Well, um, as many priests, uh, I think we we were were born into the Catholic faith, meaning that we are cradle Catholics. Um, a lot of us, we we it, it came from being part of a family. So I was baptized and I did all my sacraments. Um, my 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 sacraments of initiation as part of this is who we are mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Constanza family, you know? Right. So, so the, 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 the aspect of faith was just a given, mm-hmm. meaning that this is just who we are. And, um, and I had my, my aunt, uh, teaching me the, 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 the rosary and, um, you know, um, uh, aspects of the faith, um, uh, I had, uh, you know, the Catholic school system that was of support because we did all the different things, masses and all the major um, liturgical celebrations was done through the Catholic school. So I, 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 I must say that this was something that I was part of that yeah. I didn't even question uh, in many ways um, until I uh, went to grad school hmm. because even undergrad was at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. Spalding University, my, my two years there, um, junior and senior years. So there was campus ministry and all of that. But then going to the, to, for my master's in grad school, I was so focused in being the 4.0, doing my very best as a residence hall director and uh, just, just just exceeding in what I did that I drifted away from mm. uh, Sunday mass, from community that nourishes, from mm-hmm. friends back in Louisville, from, and even my phone calls to uh. family was infrequent and they knew something was wrong, but when they called, I was just telling them how great I was doing right, right. <laughs> in everything. So, um, so they knew that there was something you know, off when the, 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 the phone calls are infrequent, but I had drifted away from, uh, my f- practice of the faith. Right. And I must make a distinction with the faith and practice of the faith, the faith right. I had, mm-hmm. but it's just the practice of it, which right. the practice is important because it nourishes me. Yeah. And so I was malnourished in many ways <laughs> to point that out, you know, in right. during those uh, two years, almost two years. Um, and it was when my grandfather, uh, passed away and, and that story, I, I say it with, with vulnerability because I, it's, it's still something that I struggle with, uh, going back to that. But, um, you know, my, my grandfather was very ill. My 
only grandfather alive because everybody else had died. And my other grandparents had died when I was um, in Belize, you know, growing up mm-hmm. and all of that uh, young. And uh, so my, my grandfather was very, very ill. Mm. And my oldest sister decided to call me uh, to let me know that, um, that he was, was very sick and dying. And the way how I responded to her, you know, I still remember that. It was uh, around mid-semester, mm-hmm. uh, almost my final year in grad school. And I responded to her, it's like, this is very um, selfish of you to be calling me to tell me this when I'm in having finals, I have reports yeah. to do for the halls, <laughs> I have all of these things, wow. you know, you know, couldn't you have waited later or something and this or the other? Well, um, for me, that was normal then <laughs> when I said that. But then when she uh, called to tell me again that grandfather had died mm. and all of that, they buried him. I was upset now saying, why didn't you call when he died and you waited till mm. he was buried and all of that? And then I reflected on that and I said, Renee, this is not you. Yeah. I had my, uh, my, I, I was feeling that I had lost my soul, the, the mm. part of it. And so that reflection brought me back into the, uh, you know what? It's because I need my, my faith, practice my faith, my church the Eucharist and all of that. And so I made a, a conscious effort to go back right? because I know that I was, I had drifted away that I was losing my soul um, yeah. upon reflection. Yeah. You know, it's that difference between uh, the knowledge of faith and the practice of faith. And that raises an interesting question. You know, I hear your story and I'm, I'm reminded of Timothy uh, who Paul says, you know, you, Timothy was, of course, raised by in a family of faith, and Paul affirms that. You know that you were taught the scriptures from a young age, and yet Timothy grows up mm-hmm. and embraces that faith and becomes Paul's, uh, you know, um, Paul's uh, right hand helper and his protege. But there's so many uh, young people who are born into a family of faith. They receive baptism and first communion and confirmation, and yet for whatever reason, they don't embrace the faith that they were, they were born yeah. into and that they were raised. And it's, a, of course, a, a source of great, a great grief to, to many parents that they don't see their children growing up and embracing it. But, but you, uh, like Timothy, uh, embraced the faith in which you were raised. What, what made you embrace your faith? In other words, why are you a Catholic? Why have you chosen to embrace your Catholic faith? Yeah. And I must give credit to my oldest sister and my family for that because you know when i spoke to them about this and reflected with them you know i said thank you for not judging me or you know just uh throwing remarks at me and everything concerning um those two years there in in grad school that they were able to walk and accompany me with much tenderness and compassion as mm-hmm. God would. And I, I always remember that because I, I use that also as an example to so many mothers, fathers, grandparents that, that write to me, talk to me about the, the grief that they're going through because so many people have left in their family, you know, are not practicing mm-hmm. 
They probably haven't left. They're just not practicing. And I said, just be a witness of the faith by practicing the faith, going to Mass, praying the rosary, um, and showing your children and grandchildren the best of faith, which is charity in action. Mm. And then they, they will realize that there's something missing in their life. Right. But hammering that to them, guess what? Young people just run away from that. Right. They, 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 they won't embrace it. Nobody likes to be told every day, you know, you are doing this wrong, this wrong and the other. And, you mm-hmm. know, expect transformation. I always keep reminding people that love is what transforms. Mm. Not, not obligation and not a sense of uh, shame. Or, or, or the guilt or all of that, it has to be love, the love of God manifested in, in, in the sacraments of the church, the mass, the beautiful mass, but also love manifested, love of God manifested through each one of us, you know, who give witness to that, to the faith. Absolutely. And so I, yeah, so that's, that's where I come from, and I give um, all the credit to my family for that. And I wasn't the only one because I, I also, you know, um, uh, you know, practiced that in my family too. When one of my siblings, she and her family went to the evangelical church mm-hmm. and, um, and then, you know, I was there as principal of that, of the high school. So I was happy to be there accompanying them, like visiting the family without a judgmental aspect of it. And right. just listen to them and the excitement that they had in learning more scripture and all of that. But they were drifting away from the family because every time they were going to the to reunions and all of that, uh, you know, mom and, and others would be like throwing things about their, their pastor and this or just in negativity. Mm. And I said, and I had to talk to them and I said, when I was in this situation, I didn't get this, you know, and, and so we won't get anywhere, but we'll lose a whole, uh, an integral part of our family if we continue like that, because she started to, uh, and her family started to go less to the gatherings. But I still persisted going to her family and all of that. And guess what? She realized that, that, you know, there was something missing and that there, also were something good things that she she had learned from the evangelical church that when she decided to come back to the faith, she was even stronger. Mm -hmm. She was uh, gathering people for prayer at the home and all of that. And and, and she's still practicing Catholic with her entire family. But it's just how we approach that makes a difference. And I think we need more like God in, 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 in how we do that. Amen. You know, Father Rene, you, you're a highly educated uh, man, uh, especially even in the sciences, your study of biology. And so many people uh, go get education, they, they study the sciences, whatnot, and then they find the truths of the Catholic faith or Catholic faith not compelling to them anymore. But you, despite that education, despite that science, have fully embraced the truths of the Catholic faith. Why 
do you find Catholicism so compelling? What about the Catholic faith stands out as being unique to you and, and, uh, and compelling uh, to give your life to? Sure. I believe because the Catholic faith is where both the faith and the reason combine. You know, something about science. Science has to do with curiosity, (laughs) at least with the biology and all of the labs, the experiments and all of that. It's a curious mind who wants to know more. Mm. The Catholic faith is about that. It has to be with a curious heart and mind who wants more, more in life. And there's something greater that is guiding us and something greater that is calling us to that, to that life. And so I, I see that both of them work hand in hand. And so, in fact, it is science that helps me, that helped me to realize the importance of the Catholic faith, because there's a reason has to do with it. And, uh, and reason takes me thus far, because then faith kicks in, meaning that if we believe in a God who is infinite in God's love and mercy and who is inexhaustible intelligibility, inexhaustible love, inexhaustible mercy and forgiveness, then that aspect of being infinite also needs to be a mindset that as Christians, as Catholics, we must have. We can never say, I totally understand God. Mm. And I totally get it. No. Right. <laughs> the it was, moment someone says that, it's, that means they're, they're, it's a red flag. <laughs> right. That was there it, is something missing. Was it St. Anselm who said that faith seeks understanding? Or faith That's compels right. us to, to what we love. We want to learn more about whatever it is that we love. Yeah. Uh, when we love yeah. someone or yeah. love something, we, we want to explore it and discover more about it. Um, when wasn't it Augustine who said that, that, that faith and reason are like two wings that give light, you know, flight. And so, yeah, that's the thing is that Catholicism is this compelling worldview and yet it gets such a bad reputation, uh, in the popular culture, uh, for being, uh, you know, not scientific or, uh, for being backwards, at least that's the sort of the popular mythology that's lodged against it. And uh, you, you as a scientist, as an educator, as a as a pastor, and and as a polist, um, you know, so much of your life is is giving, uh, you know, counteracting that um, or counteracting that myth, responding to that right by by showing yeah. that Catholicism is a compelling and beautiful and reasonable worldview, right? That's right. That's right. And, and I think um, that giving Ansem and um, Aquinas and all of them, it's like this is something from way back in our tradition. It's not something that we're just finding out, you know. Right. Uh, so this is, this is part of who we are as, as a Catholic faith. And, and the other aspect is that I think we, sometimes we get a bad rap because, um, because of the... Of, 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 our witness in our world. Sometimes we, we, we witness with a false notion of certainty. Mm. You know, it's either this or that. Mm. So, cert, what is certain is that there is a God for me. 
what is certain that we have a, a beautiful church that is the sacrament of Christ in our world. You know, a lot of things are ambiguous. Right. You know, in the sense that we, the ambiguity is what helps us to want to know more. Right. You know, to want to seek more of God, seek more of Christ in our world. And I think when we don't hold on to ambiguity well, you know, that's when we, we, we tend to fall into um, aspects of, 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 of probably getting close to, to, to not being faithful to, to who we are as Catholics. How do we do? How do we do that, Father? How do we hold on to that ambiguity? I mean, it's a challenge, isn't it, for all of us as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to yeah, to yeah. to be certain of the things uh, in Christ that we are to be certain of, and yet not to hold on to those too tightly, to be open to the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the incarnation, right? Yes, and and I think you are answering that with with what you just said. That this is a struggle from the, you know that the church has had from the from the beginning you know this struggle that's why we we get into heresies when people struggle with ambiguity right. in in not holding both the human and divine aspect of Jesus right you know we and not holding to the incarnation not holding to the um, to the uh, to our immaculate. Um, Virgin Mary and the, the Immaculate Conception and all of that, you know, it's like it has an ambiguity with it. And I think it stems from that foundation to say, you know what, God is more than who we say God is. In, in, some, in some ways, to be Catholic is to be certain about a mystery. Right. Um, right. Well said. Yeah. 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 You know, and I mean, I think, you know, for me as a former Calvinist and evangelical who, who was on a 20 year road to Rome and came into the church, it was exactly that tension that was so compelling about the Catholic faith. You know, as a, as a Calvinist and as an evangelical, there was a, a desire to be able to define everything, to be certain about everything, to reduce the mysteries. Uh, of the faith and uh, to sort of rationalize everything about the faith. And, and I'll, I'll never forget when I kind of began my road to Rome and uh, I was in, uh, I was in Ireland uh, on Skellig Michael, this amazing uh, early um, monastic community off the Irish coast. And I remember um, just being amazed by the lives of what those monks in the seventh and eighth century must have been like and what drew them to that life. What would draw somebody to go live on a, on a rock over the Atlantic ocean on the edge of the world. And I just knew that that pursuit of some kind of a divine mystery was so compelling that I had to understand it. And, uh, and that, that becomes what draws us in. So part of it is, I guess that brings to me to the next question, which is how do we do a better job as Catholics, uh, individually in our parishes and as the church proclaiming that mystery? How do we do a better job at evangelization and mission, sort of sharing that, that certainty about a mystery? Yeah. Um, First is acknowledging, acknowledging the ambiguity that we have or the questions 
uh, acknowledging that we we are we we are certain about mystery, <laughs> but uncertain about a lot of things, and that the Holy Spirit continuously works here. And I think that's what makes me, um, you know, not think. I, I can't imagine my my life without being a Catholic. Right. You know, and because it is it is that 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 gives meaning to my life mm-hmm. and that gives me a purpose, you know, that that Jesus Christ came to draw us closer to the divine life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what baptism is, you know, through his death and resurrection to the divine life of love of God. And and so that aspect of 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 the faith, the beauty of it to comes with first acknowledging what the ambiguity is and that we could be okay with that because that means we're open to mystery and open to the Holy Spirit at work. Right. You know, we forget that the Spirit in the in Genesis, we get a good aspect of the Holy Spirit when it hovered mm. up over the waters of chaos. Yeah. And many times when we find ourselves with chaos and and um and and challenging times and trials and all of that we tend to just give up mm. or to not continue in that search you know it, the holy spirit is there through it all and for us to ask that question where is god leading us closer to god's self through this experience right and i think that's where we need to 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 be um more uh, open to to be addressing uh, with others when we talk about the Catholic faith, because it's stories that that helps us, that brings people. Because stories is makes things tangible and makes the incarnation more visible. Mm. You know, how has the Spirit been working? How has Christ been here uh, through it all? And um, and unfortunately, many people go to the other side instead of embracing that they go and they fi- try to find certainty and they try to impose that on other people and it's either this or that black or white and this and the other if you're not then you're damned and everything and that never attracts people you know it can attract them to to feel a sense of obligation and fear and so they might hold on to the to an aspect of faith in that way but it doesn't lead to true transformation mm. what as as a well as our president-elect of the paulists what what would you like to see parishes do more of to encourage evangelization and what would you like to see them do perhaps less of that maybe pushes people away um i think parishes I would love to see all the Catholic um, parishes that are um, that exist, but also the. I, I need to start with the Paulist one, the, the parishes that are served by the Paulist fathers. I would love to see them embrace fully the synodal process that Pope Francis has started in the Catholic Church. This is a powerful, powerful. A way for us to to start evangelizing, because it starts with that with that aspect of listening. Uh, the start it, it goes with accompanying people, 
and it goes with uh, discerning and um, and action, transformation. So, but but we need to hold on to that aspect of listening, accompanying, discerning, because we, it we need to be part of the the people's lives. We need to listen more to to where the spirit is at work to see. Where is God calling us more as a people of God, as a parish? And so I believe tapping on that synodal process will make a difference in how we become or become better disciples in our parishes, because that's what we are called to. Uh, I still feel that many people coming to Mass on Sundays feel that it is the, the the priest role and the staff or, or the, the the volunteers or leaders in the parish that's their role. I just come to mass to be um, nourished by the Eucharist every Sunday, and yet the, the Eucharist is what calls us to mission. Mm. So that aspect of um, of this synodal process, which calls us to communion with God, to participation in the life of the community as well as into mission. How do we bring that to the world, that, a world that so needs that joy of the gospel, a world that needs to also be imbued by the presence of, uh, of evangelizers, people who are drawing the, w- w- the divine in people, you know, yeah. drawing others to see that God is at work. Tell me your story. Right, <laughs> and then right. I'll be able to point how God is at work there. Right. So it, it's different than, than saying, I'll come to bring Christ to you. Right. Yes, that's half of it. But it's, I also come to say that Christ is at work in your life. Mm. And how do we continue that journey of right. you walking the way of Christ and to be open to the Holy Spirit working in your heart? So, so that's that for me is 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 the vision that we have, you know. And and for me, the the the, the cathedral also is is that vision that we have of communion, community, and commission. Right. These are three words that we have planted in our cathedral parish for the last three years, um, which sounds similar to the to the synod themes, but it's but but for us that's. That's who we are, you know, communion with God in liturgy right. and prayer and devotions and all of that. Right. And community is how the spirit is manifested in community, celebrating the Eucharist, celebrating Christ, celebrating being there with, for each other and listening and accompanying. But also the commission part, the mission aspect. This is not it. This is part of it. The commission is being out in the world. Serving and and allowing people to see how God is at work in them. What wonderful advice, Father. One last question. Um, for those who might be listening that maybe get discouraged, you know, they look around at what's going on in the world, they look around at the church and they see things in their parish or in the church that discourage them about the future. Um what what word would you have for those who feel discouraged about the state of the church or the state of the Catholic church or the state of the world? I would say that we are the church, all of us. The 
lay people, religious, the leaders, the everyone, and all of us, the mere fact that we're disciples, we are leaders because that's leadership. Um, and so we cannot just um, look at the, the negative aspect of things, but say, what is the Holy Spirit calling me to do about this? Where is God leading me? Because I am church as well. You know, no one person can say, I am the church per se, and then you are not part of it. Right. It has to be like, I am part of it. I'm part of the body of Christ. Right. And, uh, and so it, it is also to, to, to take uh, serious our core responsibility of this church. Mm. And so it's easier for us to be negative and to, to just dwell on that. Because it doesn't call us to take responsibility. <laughs> it's much easier to be in the sideline right. and to complain. But to ask the question, now what? Where is the Spirit calling me here? Where is God leading me? Wow, that's great. Father, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing uh, your journey, sharing your thoughts about evangelization. And we want to pray for you. And I'm sure all of our listeners will be praying for you as you uh, assume your responsibilities and leading the Paulists to uh, bring evangelization uh, to, to this nation and to the world in the 21st century. So thank you so much Greg, for taking the time to be with thank us. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Greg, for the opportunity and, and thank you for the prayers and be assured of my prayers for you and the beautiful ministry that you have there at Lane. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments, but first I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding.
Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.